Welcome to the Servants of Grace podcast hosted by Dave Jenkins. Our podcast exists to provide trustworthy expository messages through the Bible and faithful answers to your theology questions. Now for today's episode, let's join our host, Dave Jenkins. Well, welcome back to the Servants of Grace podcast. My name is Dave and I'm the host for the show. And on today's episode, we're going to continue our walk through the book of Psalms looking today at Psalm 71 and when my strength is spent. Would you please join me now in prayer? Heavenly Father, we we thank you first that your word is true, that it reveals not only who you are, it tells us what you're like, and it focuses, it tells us about who Christ is and what he has come to do in his death, burial, and resurrection, and ascension, and soon an imminent return. So Lord, we thank you that your word is true, but we also thank you that it's for all of our life, for all of godliness, that it addresses the very real hurts and anxieties and struggles, even even fears about dying and our age. Lord, we are so thankful that your word is true, that your word is sufficient, but we also are so thankful, Lord, that your word is binding on our lives, that when you speak, you, you have spoken clearly and definitively for our good, for our life, for our godliness, that we would walk in the manner that you have prescribed for us as your people defined in your word. And so, Lord, as we come now to your word, we are reminded that your word is true, that your word is sufficient, that your word is binding, and that you have something very clearly to teach us, to, to train us, to, uh, to do as Titus 2 tells us, to renounce ungodliness, to walk in the manner prescribed in the word. So, Lord, help us to not only just hear this word, but Lord, help us help this word, may this word go into the fertile soil uh, of, of our hearts. May it be received with gladness and with joy as we open the pages of your word together, as we discover more of your goodness, more of your greatness, and of your majesty. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Well, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open them to Psalm 71. Psalm 71 says this, In you, O Lord, do I take refuge. In your righteousness, deliver me and rescue me. Incline your ear to me and save me. Be to me a rock of refuge to which I may continually come. You have given the command to save me, for you are my rock and my fortress. Rescue me, O my God, from the hand of the wicked, from the grasp of the unjust and the cruel man. For you, O Lord, are my hope, my trust, O Lord, from my youth. Upon you I have leaned from before my, mo- my, mo- my birth. You are he who took me from my mother's womb. My praise is continually of you. I have been as a portent to many, but you are my strong refuge. My mouth is filled with your praise and with your glory all the day. Do not cast me off in a time of old age. Forsake me not when my strength is spent. For my enemies speak concerning me, 
and those who watch for my life consult together and say, God has forsaken him. Pursue and seize him, for there is none to deliver him. O God, be not far from me. O my God, make haste to help me. May my accusers be put to shame and consumed. With scorn and disgrace may they be covered who seek my hurt. But I will hope continually, and I will praise you yet more and more. My mouth will tell of your righteous acts, of your deeds of salvation all the day, for their number has passed my knowledge. With the mighty deeds of the Lord I will come, I will remind them of your righteousness, yours alone. O God, from my youth you have taught me, and I still proclaim your wondrous deeds. And yet, and so even to old age and great hairs, O God, do not forsake me, until I proclaim your might to another generation, your power to all those to come. Your righteousness, O God, reaches the high heavens. You who have done great things, O God, who is like you? You have made me see many troubles and calamities will revive me again. From the depths of the earth you will bring me up again. You will increase my greatness and comfort me again. I will also praise you with a heart for your faithfulness, O my God. I will sing praises to you with a lyre, O Holy One of Israel. My lips will shout for joy when I sing praises to you. My soul also, which you have redeemed, and my tongue will talk of your righteousness, righteous help all the day long. For they have put, been put to shame and disappointed who sought to do me hurt. This is the reading of God's holy, precious word. Psalm 71 is one of the few pieces in book two of the Psalter that is not ascribed to a particular author. And there's good reason, though, why it traditionally is thought to have been written by none other than King David. Not only are 19 of the previous Psalms ascribed to David, but Psalm 71 also echoes material from the other Psalms written by David, like Psalm 22, Psalm 31, Psalm 35, and Psalm 38. In fact, since Psalm 71 contains its author's reflections in old age, it makes sense that this would be the last of David's prayers before Psalm 72 concludes by saying, The prayers of David, the son of Jesse, are ended in Psalm 72.20. Now, not only is Psalm 71 written by a senior citizen, but it reflects the concerns of the elderly. Charles Spurgeon once wrote, we have here the prayer of the aged believer who, in holy confidence of faith, stricken by a long and remarkable experience, pleads against his enemies and asks for their blessings for himself. Anticipating a gracious reply, he promises to magnify the Lord exceedingly, Spurgeon says. And yet we also can say that Psalm 71 is not only valuable to the elderly, but to all other weary souls who feel that their strength is spent and struggle to maintain the life of joyful praise that they know they should possess. And so we're going to talk first about the problems of old age. We're going to look first at the problems of old age. You know, most people, they dread the thought of growing old, like an 18-year-old to whom Derek Thomas once asked, what do you think about growing old? And the youth answered, I hope to die before then. That answer may to seem to overstate the difficulties of old age, but it, it accurately gauges our society's view of the elderly. In a culture where pleasure, power, and beauty, and where we can get food as fast at the, at the click of our heels and, and a phone call, 
They're all defined in youthful terms. Becoming old seems to many like a living death. Now, the Spanish explorer Ponce de Leon thought of it this way. Being frustrated as an old man watching the young courtiers and their beautiful wives. And inspired by native legends, Ponce set off in search of the fountain of youth. Millions of Americans spend billions of dollars in youth-preserving products must ultimately learn with Ponce de Leon that there is neither a fountain nor a tube from which youth may be regained. Now, according to David, the way to address the difficulties associated with old age is to seek help for them from the Lord. And the first problem that he notes in our text about old age is weakness, including the loss of both strength and ability. In Psalm 71, verse 9, he says, Do not cast me off in time of old age. Forsake me not when my strength is spent. That's because David realizes that he cannot make the same contributions as he once did and expresses his fear that his value to God is correspondingly decreased. And so David is aided in thinking this way by the contempt of his foes, which he says in verse 10, For my enemies speak concerning me, those who watch for my life consult together. That's because his enemies are sure to capitalize on his weakness. And so David struggles with a sense of usefulness and futility. In fact, David's sense of uselessness is it's not restricted to the age. Students who struggle to get good grades, average performers in the workplace, parents worn down by stress and fatigue, or, or those who are downcast by grief may take up the prayer offered by David in verse 9 of our psalm. When he says, forsake me not when my strength is spent. Small struggling churches and their pastors often feel this way, wondering about whether God values them despite their apparent small success. And the assumption behind this concern is that our value rests on our performance to for God. And to the contrary, scripture insists that our acceptance relies on God's redeeming grace. Isaiah 44, 21-22 says, O Israel, you will not be forgotten by me, says the Lord. I have blotted out your transgressions like a cloud and your sins like a mist. Now, a second problem common to the age is loneliness. As David has grown old, he has found fewer and fewer people to help him and to bear his burdens. Former companions have died, and he may feel that younger people cannot relate to his struggles. And so he feels virtually all alone with none to help him except the Lord God. His enemies do not think that he even has the help of God. They say in verse 11, God has forsaken him, pursue and seize him, for there is none to deliver him. Many older people feel the burden of such loneliness with few around who remember the old times or even understand what they've been through. And younger people, of course, can feel the same way. They lose their sense of worth if their strength is lessened. And so they face a growing suspicion that no one values them apart from what they're able to accomplish. The result is not only a sense of worthlessness, but also a dreadful loneliness. Now third, in old age, David faces a host of long-standing problems that have been with him for many years. His troubles and his hosts of detractors and his enemies have never ceased. Only now David lacks his former strength and help in combating them. And throughout Psalm 71, we see problems that have been referred to in numer numerous other psalms from the hand of David. He is assailed by the hand of the wicked and the grasp of the unjust and the cruel man, verse 4 says of our psalm. 
David's opponents, they continue to slander and conspire against him. Verses 10 through 11 tell us. He continually faces troubles and even calamities from which he prays to be revived in verse 20. One might think that David could outlive these and even other long-standing problems, but in a world of sin, this never happens. Now, some commentators think that David wrote Psalm 71 during his son's Absalom's rebellion, which happened in 2 Samuel uh, uh, 15 through 18. But if he's writing in his age years, the occasion may have been the revolt of Sheba or the attempt by Adonai to seize the throne from David's heir Solomon. Now, in either of these latter cases, David may have lamented the same bitter problems of ambitious and disloyal servants who exaggerated his failings, plotted secretly against his regime, and struck out in a sudden deadly attack. And having survived one such heartbreaking betrayal, David would be subjected to others in latter years. We too face endless problems that threaten our peace and joy today. Some of us have family relationships that continue to wear us down. Some have medical problems and, and their lives or struggle with depression or discouragement or anxieties. Others face racial prejudice or religious persecution that holds no prospect of improvement. Business people face the never-ending challenge to make ends meet. Doctors spend their lives unable to balance their schedule. Pastors face one difficult spiritual problem after another. We think that if we work hard and well enough, we will move past these problems. But as we age, the problems are still there. And as David reflects on these concerns in our text before us today, the real challenge is not his weakness, it's not isolation, it's not his long-standing problems. Rather, the issue he wrestles with is a threat they pose to his joy and his ability to live in praise to God. Derek Thomas writes, The thought that old age might rob him of the spirit of thankfulness terrifies the present. His prayer ensures that it will not. And, and what we're going to see here in this psalm is, is David is, is not only grounded firmly in the good theology of the word, but also he's had that, that theology, he's walked that theology out in his, in his life. He, he is older in his life. This is why, as we'll talk about uh, as we go throughout our time, this is why we need older older saints in our lives. This is why Titus 2 even tells us, uh, instructs us that older older men are to come alongside younger men. That means like in my case, I'm, I'm in my early 40s. So I need to be coming alongside those who are in their 30s and 20s and even in their teens. And so if you're in your 50s or 60s and 70s, you, you get the idea. But also older older women need to come alongside you know, younger woman. So if you're, you know, let's say you're in your 40s, you need to come alongside those who are in their, you know, 30s and 20s and so on. And so we need one another. We need to learn from those who have walked with God for a long time over over time because, you know what, life is really hard. And like we're seeing in this text, life has a way of beating us down. Who can, who can, you know, agree with that? Who can identify with that? Maybe you can today. Maybe maybe that's you right now even. You feel the weight of life and it, and it hurts and it's a struggle. You know, there, there have been, to be honest with you, there have been many times when I have had to face the reality of the pain of life. And you know what? Those times, they're never fun. 
I remember, especially when I when I was about 15, my brother came to me and he said, you know, Dave, your your parents are one of my brothers came to me, I should say. He came to me and said, you know, your parents, they fight a lot. And once he started saying that, I started seeing it all the time. Before that, I didn't see it. It was like, you know, out of sight, out of mind kind of thing. But once he said that, I started seeing it. And the more I saw it, the more heartbreaking it was. And it eventually led, not me seeing it, but, you know, my parents fighting. It led to my parents' divorce, sadly. But also, you know, um, even later on. uh, So I'm in my, you know, about my mid-20s. And my dad was diagnosed with frontal temporal dementia. By God's grace, he's still alive. You know, but he is progressing. This disease is taking over his mind and it's clouding his ability to even communicate, even have a desire to have a conversation because he can't keep up. And and even though, you know, I try to keep things moving along, it's still hard for him to have that conversation. You know, a couple of years ago now, my, my mom was diagnosed also with the memory disease, Alzheimer's. And you know what? It has a way of just eating away at you, seeing your mom, not only her memory going, but she also has significant health issues. And these kind of things, what they do is they, they test our resolve. Are we going to follow the Lord in the midst of the stuff of life? And the, and the, the fact is, is we live in a, in a world, a post-fall world, where, you know what? It seems like sin is running rampant. And it seems like all of the frustration, all of it is just pointless. And many people live like that. They live like life has no point, has no goal, or they just live for the now. They live for their pleasure. They live for their latest paycheck. And they find their identity and meaning and value and worth in that thing. And can I say, you know what? Life, as I said, has a way of beating us down. Life has a way of of taking away our joy. It has a way of just eroding us at us and and it can just sneak up on us. That's why we need to remember the Lord. We need to remember, as we're going to see here in just a minute, we need to remember the goodness of God, how God has been with us, not only just in this moment where we have life and breath, but he has been with us. He has been with us. He walks with us. He walks before us. He is everywhere present. There is not one inch over which God does not say mine and where God is not present and where God doesn't know and care and and long for us to come to him. And so this is why the Bible invites us in Matthew 11, 28 through 30, Jesus does, to come unto me all who are weary and heavy laden and find rest because the only one that we can find rest in is not in the circumstances and the stuff of life. We will always end up frustrated that way. And, and furthermore, we were never meant, we were never meant to live life on our own way in our own sufficiency, especially as Christians. We have, we have been signed and sealed in the Lord. 
at the moment of conversion, we were declared not guilty. We were adopted by God. We, we were brought from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of the Lord Jesus. We are his and he is ours. We are united to Christ by faith in the Lord Jesus himself. There, we were then signed and sealed and indwelt uh, and empowered by the Holy Spirit. You know, all of this is God's work in us. And above all things, we need to remember God's faithfulness in bringing us to Christ. This alone should give us praise to God, lead us to praise to God, to remind us this is God's goodness to us. But uh, we need to continue on. And we're going to be reminded of these truths that I've just talked about as we look at our second point now. Looking back on a life of faith. So David's first step in preserving himself from self-pity and appraise this life is to look back on the lessons of a lifetime of trusting God. James Boyce says, We have spoken about the problems of old age, which are great, but one great advantage is in having a long experience of God's presence, of his faithfulness and blessing. Let's stop there for just a minute. You know, do you, when was the last time you looked back and you thought about all that God has done in your life. Have you have you thought about that? Have you have you reminded yourself, hey, you know what? In the midst of that period of my life where I was struggling financially, the Lord was good. The Lord provided. He continues to provide today. And you, you remind your in the midst of maybe a challenging relational dynamic, maybe you can remind yourself of another challenging situation. And this can go on and on exponentially at work and your relationships and your marriage and so on. And yet, looking back, David here is able to describe God in ways that are going to help him to continue to trust the Lord. That's because God is David's rock of refuge and fortress, as we see in Psalm 71.3, and his hope, as we see in Psalm 71.5. David focuses on the saving care that God has extended for the entirety of his life. In Psalm 71.5, he says, For you, O Lord God, are my hope and my trust, O Lord, from my youth. And so all throughout his life, David has faced troubles just as threatening as those now before him. And God had amply proved himself as a savior. And so if David was wearied by his age concerns, how much more deadly was his youthful clash with the Philistine giant Goliath? Young David had taken his stand through faith in the Lord, telling Goliath in 1 Samuel 17, 45-46, I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you down. David may have aged since that glorious day when God enabled him to fell the giant, but God had not changed. The lesson of his youth is still the lesson for elderly David. God alone is the source of our strength and of our salvation. In fact, David even looks further back than his youth, and he notes God's saving care from the moment of his verse of his birth. He says in verse 6, You are he who took me from my mother's womb. My praise is continually of you. That's because the Lord had literally always been there for David, and he realizes that he can always count on God. The picture of that is that of a baby newly emerged from his mother's womb being held up in strong hands. And, and so David realizes that his life was always upheld this way by the Lord. J.J. J. Stuart Perrone says of God, 
He is a father who bears them in his arms and carries them in his bosom. They are as children who lean all their weight upon the Lord and find their sweetest rest in his supporting hand. You know, I mentioned my, I mentioned my parents. They're, they're well progressing in their memory illness. And at, at various times, I have to be honest, uh, it's, it's difficult, especially the first few years or so. The first five years, especially with my dad, was, was very difficult. But then finally, I, I've come now uh, sort of first full circle and my daily prayers just that the Lord would be gracious to them that and take them since they belong to Christ would just take them home to be with the Lord. But, but it took a long time, years and years of the Lord, Lord's work in my life. And he has used this situation with my dad to, to help me, to sanctify me. To, to help me to understand uh, more and more about the current plight of mental health in our nation, which one day I hope, Lord willing, to, to write more and more about. But see, feeling weak, feeling down, feeling struggle, and, and looking even ahead uh, to in the next few years when my parents might go to be the Lord or even soon, it, it's made me realize that God wants me to look to him as the one who knows what's best, whose hands have always upheld me and every breath, given me every breath that I have, and whose unfailing love has always been the true source of my hope and my strength. That's because Martin Rinkert urges us to be thankful to God when he says, who from our mother's arms hath blessed us on our way with countless gifts of love and still is ours today. And now realizing in old age that God has blessed you from your earliest days should inspire a resolve to live in joyful praise to the Lord. This was a testimony of the second century Bishop Polycarp of Smyrna when he chose to be burned at the stake rather than agree to worship a statue of Caesar. The Roman officials had such a great respect for Polycarp that they pleaded with him to take what they believed should be an empty gesture of idol worship in order to save his life. But Polycarp explained, For 86 years I have been Christ's slave, and he has done me no wrong. How can I blaspheme my king who saved me? And so looking back over his life on the help and the grace of God, Polycarp was no longer weep or lonely, but he was strong in faith as he trusted the Savior who had so loved him. And now second, David looks on his life and he sees a portent to many in verse 7. He had led a life of symbolic significance in which others had witnessed the working of God. A portent is normally thought of in negative terms, in which case David was viewed with a general abhorrence because of the trials that he had suffered. This negative sense is likely here since David contrasts it with God's protection when he says, but you are my stronghold. Portent may still have some positive sense, though, since David not only suffered great afflictions, but gave public testimony to God's power to save those who believe. And in this way, David was a forerunner of his greater descendant, Jesus Christ. When baby Jesus was present at the temple, age Simeon told Mary in Luke 2.34, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and the rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. George Horn connects David and Christ as portents when he said, They who saw David ascending Mount Olive in tears when Absalom had driven him from Jerusalem, and they who beheld Jesus led forth out of the same Jerusalem to be crucified on Mount Calvary, were tempted to regard both the one and the other as finally deserted by God. 
And so instead of emblems of divine rejection, David and Jesus were in fact portents of the saving grace that God extends to weary, defeated believers. Horn rightly says, The Christian who lives by faith and who chooses to suffer with the Savior here, that he may reign with him hereafter, appears to the men of the world as a monster of folly and enthusiasm. But God is the strong refuge of all. When was the last time you reminded yourself, even took this truth of, of the Lord as our rock and our refuge and a very present help in time of need, as Psalm 42 also adds to our discussion? And, and preach that truth to yourself. When was, when was the last time you did that? When was the last time that you reminded yourself of the goodness of God, of the love of God, of the justice of God, of the holiness of God? Because you know what? That's, that's how we're going to keep going on. Amid the, you know, the chaos of our world, even as I'm recording this, Israel is in the midst of a, of a, of a war with, with uh, Hamas and uh, they're going to maybe potentially go into Palestine and other nations. Uh, so we're seeing what Jesus talked about in wars or rumors and wars. And, you know, we're seeing in the United States, we're seeing great financial challenges with inflation. And we've seen even recently, if you've been to college and in graduate school or postgraduate school, you, you, you see the emergence of your student loan bill coming due once again. And, and that can lead to great anxiety and fear. And, and we see grocery prices rising and, and on and on it goes. And, and that's just in our world. And then we have our personal world. You know, maybe work is stressful. Maybe, maybe home life is difficult. Maybe if you have children, they're not doing so well in the Lord at school and on and on. All of us, all of us have these things in our life. And it can be hard. It can be difficult. And we need to remember, we need to remind ourselves. That's what Horn is saying. We need to remind ourselves of the Lord. We need to remind ourselves that the Lord is present, that the Lord cares, that he is our strong refuge. He, it's not us that's carrying ourselves through. It's the Lord who's carrying us through. He is near to us. He cares for us. He is concerned with us. And, and he's concerned, as we'll see in our next point, that we look forward in hope. And that's because at the end of his strength and suffering the ravages of old age, David has looked back on his life for lessons of faith. Reminded in this way of God's saving presence, he then turns to the future with renewed hope. He reminded himself of what the Lord has done, and now he's turning to look at the future. It, it, his perspective is going to be changed, as we'll see in verse 14, which says, But I will hope continually and will praise you yet more and more. Age as he is, David realizes that he will have more reasons to rejoice in giving praise to God. And, and Boyce observes, He knew that if God had left him in life and had not yet taken him home to be with him in glory, it was because there was more work to do. Primarily among David's remaining works was to bear testimony to the faithfulness and the power of God, which we see in verses 16 through 18. With the mighty deeds of the Lord God, I will come. I will remind them of your greatness, yours alone. O God, from my youth you have taught me, and I still proclaim your wondrous deeds. And so, even to old age and gray hairs, O God, do not forsake me, until I proclaim your might to another generation, your power to all those who come. 
When David speaks of declaring the righteousness of God, he refers to God's faithfulness and keeping his promise and fulfilling all that he has pledged to his people who trust in his name. And having lived for a long time, he is well suited to glorifying God and, as verse 16 says, remind them of your righteousness. Now, let's remind ourselves of where we've come. We have come to the place where David has reminded himself. He's reminded himself of what God has done, of who God is and what God is like. We need to take that truth we've talked about and preach it to ourselves. And the more that we do that, the more that we're going to be reminded of how faithful God is, of how good God is. And especially This is why we need encouragers in the faith. Older Christians often serve as the best encouragers of faith. They may no longer have the strength or the opportunity to preach or teach publicly in the church, especially, and only if they are men, but women can teach other women. But as they interact with younger believers who are struggling, they can speak an encouraging word about trusting God. This does not mean that older believers automatically know more or have nothing to learn from younger Christians. James Boyce says, But the old person has lived with God longer and has seen more of God's faithfulness over the years of life than younger people, however much they may know. Therefore, a person like this is especially equipped to help the young. That isn't because, as I said, that they know more or that that they don't have anything to learn. But they have read their Bible, they've studied their Bible, and they've walked it out. They've practiced a life in submission to the Lord Jesus Christ. In that way, then, experience can be served and be used under the hand of God. Because as we're grounded and shaped by the Word, It's going to result in us walking out the work. This is why Paul was very concerned that we walk in a manner worthy of the calling that we've received. We've received a calling. We have one who's called, that is Christ. And he calls us to saving faith in the grace of God. But then he calls us, as as Paul says in Philippians 2, to work our or Philippians 1, to work out our salvation with fear and trembling before the Lord. So there's a working out, there's a walking out of our life of faith in God. And in that way, experience grounded in and shaped by the Bible can be an instrument, can be a use, be useful in the hands of God to be used to help other people. Now, we need to talk about this for just a minute because What I'm not saying is that experience for experience's sake, as is advocated today, that is not what I mean. What I mean is, is that our faith is grounded in the, to be grounded and shaped by the Bible. That's why at the outset I prayed that we would trust the Word. That we would trust not only the Word, but we would trust that the Word is for all of our life and godliness. And that we would submit to it and by the grace of God, we would obey the word. Because you know what? As we trust the Bible, as we take the word of God that that is for our life and godliness and we put it into practice, we're walking out this walk of faith. And the more that we walk out this walk of faith by the grace of God and with the help of the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit and with the help of other Christians, we're going to have biblically grounded experience. 
And we're going to be able to come alongside other people and be like, you know what? In, in that time, there was a similar situation, not exactly the same, but there was a similar situation in which the Lord used in my life. And here's how the Lord helped me through it. Here's passages of scripture. Here's some stories. Here's some examples. Here's just fleshed out this biblical truth. And in this way, we can encourage one another. I I will never forget all the many times that I spent in my previous pastor's office, not because I was in trouble or under church discipline, far from it, but we were serving together in a variety of different ways in the church and Uh, I I just happened to come under his particular leadership, and he and I became very close over five years that that we were there in southern Idaho, and well, we were there in southern Idaho longer than five years, but at this church, and I was helping him. But there was many days in which going through this period, especially the beginning years of my my father's dementia, there there was other situations as well, and there, there, he was always a text. He was always open, always available to, to talk if he had time. But when I would sit in his office, he would sit there and listen. And, and I would say, well, what do you think? And he would say, I don't have much to, to add to that situation a lot. And actually, that was, that was the most mature thing. I learned so much from that. Uh, that was so instructive to me to realize, even though I, I could explain theologically what what this person was going through before me. Sometimes the most appropriate answer is just to say, I don't know what you're going through. I don't know, but I know one who is, and can we pray? And so he would put his hand on my hand, and right there in his office, he would pray for me. And then he would, after he was done praying, he would come around and he would give me a hug, and he would say, Dave, I love you. Wow. That was... um so powerfully used by the Lord in my life. I, I I can't even adequately explain to you the blessing and the encouragement and the help that the Lord used this brother in my life in that way and in so many other ways to encourage me to, to love the Lord and to love people. Now, older Christians may likewise bear a strong testimony to the power of God. They point younger Christians to the great saving works of God, not only in Bible history, but also in their time. August Thuluk says, Are there better preachers of the works of God to be found than gray-haired parents in the circle of their children, or grandparents in that of their grandchildren? And so David's perspective it challenges the modern notion that the mere passage of time renders bible truth obsolete instead he is sure that that god's great acts in the present are meant to benefit the people of the future and to give that testimony david sees a new reason to go on living praying for god to preserve his life he says in verse 18 until i proclaim your might to another generation and so david's plea it urges younger believers to make every effort to benefit from the testimony of aged christians And this way, churches that foster intergenerational fellowship, where older men come alongside younger men and older women come alongside uh, younger women, they go a long way to strengthening the faith of the rising generation of Christians. 
These relationships may form through outreach ministries in which young and old labor together, from service projects in which younger Christians assist older ones, and even by having the youth attend the church prayer meeting together, then always meeting in age-segregated manner. How many experienced and accomplished believers are deprived of their influence on younger Christians, while often languishing with a lack of purpose in life, all because of the way our generation isolates younger people from older saints? Now, while bearing testimony to God's faithfulness and God's power, David is reminded that a great future yet awaits him. In verse 19, it shows how his testimony has revived his own faith. We're saying when he says this in verse 20 and 21, Your righteousness, O God, reaches the high heavens. You who have done great things, O God, who is like you? And so he realizes that the God who has so constantly saved his people has further saving grace for David. And when he says, you have made me see many troubles and calamities will revive me again. From the depths of the earth, you will bring me up again. You will increase my greatness and comfort me again. David had been miserable, lamenting the former greatness he was losing through old age. But remembering the faithfulness of God and the power of God, he sees that his true greatness lies ahead. This should be the perspective of every single Christian, young or old, that whatever sorrows you may now be enduring and whatever trials may lie ahead through faith in Christ, 2 Corinthians 4.17 says, This light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. And so believers trace forward the trajectory of David's thought, and they see the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And they remember that Jesus conquered the grave for his people and purchased their entry into an eternal paradise. An excellent example of David's forward-looking hope was shown in, in the gleeful anticipation of Helen Wilson. Helen was a retired missionary, and in her old age, she had been diagnosed with terminal cancer. And, and she would pray earnestly, Helen, uh, so she would pray, she's getting awfully excited, the story goes. This is a life-giving perspective that David recovered by renewing his appreciation for the matchless grace and glory of God. And it was also the perspective of Joseph Addison and his kin, with all your mercies, O oh my God, when he said this, when all your mercies, O oh my God, my rising soul surveys, transported with a view, I'm lost in wonder, love, and praise. Uh, through every period of my life, your goodness I'll pursue, and after death and distant words, the glorious theme renew. Through all eternity, to you a joyful song I'll rise, for O oh, eternity is too short to utter all your praise. And it's on this very theme of being renewed, eternal praise, that David concludes Psalm 71 in verses 21 through 22. I will also praise you with the heart for your faithfulness, O my God. I will sing praises to you with the lyre, a holy one of Israel. My lips will shout for joy when I sing praise to you, my soul also which you have redeemed, and my tongue will talk of your righteousness help all the day long. For they have also been put to shame and disappointed who sought to do me hurt. So our last point is persisting in praise to God. See, our calling in life is to bear testimony to the faithfulness of God, to the power of God, through hearts that are joyfully lifted up in praise. And even when our strength is spent through old age or weariness of life, we are to look past on God's saving works and forward to the glorious future ahead. And as a result, we can live for the glory of God in the present. 
And to this end, David's example in Psalm 71, it counsels us on how to persist in praising God, regardless of the seasons or the trials that we face. And the first example that he provides is that of continuing in godly patterns that have previously sustained us. The psalm begins with prayers that are founded uh, through David's earlier writings. In Psalm 71.1, he says, In you, O Lord, do I take refuge. In verse 2, he says, Incline your ear to me. Be to me a rock of refuge to which I may continually turn. In verse 3. In verse 12, he says, For you, O Lord, are my hope, my trust. In verse 5. In verse 12, he says, Oh my God, make haste to help me. And God as a rock of refuge is one of David's favorite images for the saving presence of the Lord. And he appeals to God in that way now, as he has done so many times before. And so whether he, we are spent by old age or wearied by afflictions, the way for us to persist in praising God with joy is to continue in the steps of faith that we have previously learned and, and in which we have walked. Now, second, we're going to persist in praise as we anchor ourselves to great biblical truths. Old age is no time to stop reading the Bible and meditating on biblical doctrine. Likewise, younger people who are worn down by trials should renew their commitment by reading and studying and meditating on the Word. Derek Thomas notes that rock climbers secure their ropes to special pins called cleats, and by means of these sophisticated pegs, they ascend higher and higher. Likewise, the same biblical truths that enable us to climb high in our strength will keep us from falling in our weakness. We are believers especially need to fix their minds and hearts on the attributes of God, the saving work of Christ, and the covenant promises found in the Word of God. And next, David, David's entire psalm is a prayer for God and God's help in maintaining his joyful praise. And when our strength is spent, we too need to turn to mercy to God in prayer. Matthew Henry says this, Those that are home in God, that live a life of communion with Him and confident in Him, that continually resort unto Him by faith and prayer, having their eyes ever towards Him, may promise themselves a strong habitation in Him, such as will never fail, fall, or itself, nor can ever be broken through any invading power. And lastly, David's prayer invites us to always be looking to the future of our salvation for a glory that is yet to fall on us in full color. William Plummer writes, Whatever may befall believers here, it is certain that their career in the next world may be brighter and brighter forever. And this was the Apostle Paul's testimony to all who are joined to faith in Christ, having reminded us that we are children of God and co-heirs together with Christ. Armed with these truths, Paul reasoned, saying this, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us in Romans 8.18. David's prayer, likewise, offers a legacy of hope that belongs to everyone who has found salvation through faith in Christ alone. When he says in Psalm 71.21, You will increase my greatness and comfort me again. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that your word is true. And not only is it true, but we trust it. And not only do we trust it, we trust that it is sufficient because your word tells us of a sufficient in Christ in whom we have placed our trust. And Lord, not only do we trust your word, and not only do we believe that your word is sufficient and that it reveals the person and work of Christ, but Lord, we believe that, that Christ is Lord over all things. Oh, and just to be Lord over all areas of our life. So Lord, where we, where we have, are weary and where we are struggling, where we lack joy because we have been suffocated by 
suffocated by the anxiety of this age, by by the fear of man, where, where Lord, we have allowed the world to influence our thinking. Lord, may we repent. And may we fix our eyes yet again afresh by reminding ourselves of your goodness, reminding ourselves of your faithfulness, reminding yourself ourselves of, of how you have worked so powerfully and so wonderfully and so greatly in our lives. So Lord, we thank you for this great psalm that reminds us that we cannot do this life on our own, in our own power, that we need the help of the grace of God that you have so freely given to us on account of the person and work of Christ. And we so are in need of the help of the Holy Spirit who indwells us and empowers us and even comforts us and instructs us through the word. So, Lord, where we have failed, where we have been apathetic towards our sin, where we have been apathetic towards the mission of God, where we have been apathetic towards sin in our lives, Lord, please bring conviction. And, and also, Lord, bring the help of your grace. We thank you, Lord, that you are a sufficient king, and you are a sufficient high priest. You are sufficient over everything and over all things. And we are just so thankful for your sufficiency that is revealed in the word. We thank you, Lord, for this time that you've given to us now. Pray, Lord, that we would take these truths and that they would be planted deep in in our hearts, resulting in change of life, and that the truth would lead us uh, through the conviction of your spirit and the help of your grace to be transformed by the renewing our mind, thus impacting not just our head and our hearts, but also our lives, the way that we walk out this life of faith. So Lord, help us by your grace and help us to be humble. Help us to confess our ongoing need, as Newton said, to be a well-instructed Christian, to recognize that, yes, I have a great need of Christ and a great Christ for my need. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Thank you for listening to the Servants of Grace podcast today. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe, leave a rating on the app, and share our episode with your friends and family. If you'd like to, you can follow us on Instagram at Servants of Grace, on Twitter at Servants of Grace, or by searching Servants of Grace on Facebook. You can also find this podcast on the front page of our website at servantsofgrace.org.